Hello, welcome into the ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls. In this week's ESPN Roundtable, we are joined by legendary former Grizz running back and six-year NFL veteran Chase Reynolds. The former Class C legend from Drummond, Montana, set the Montana High School Association record with 5,261 career rushing yards and 114 career touchdowns, leading the Trojans to state titles in 2003, 2004, and 2005. He came to the University of Montana as a partial scholarship player, slated to play receiver, but when he got his chance at running back, he never looked back. One of the great running backs in the history of the University of Montana, he had back-to-back 1,500-yard rushing seasons, set the program's all-time record with 22 touchdowns in a single season in both 2008 and 2009. And he finished his career with 4,067 career rushing yards, just three behind Johansi Humphrey for the most all-time in Grizz history. And Reynolds, 52 touchdowns is a career program record. Reynolds signed with the Seahawks as an undrafted free agent in 2011. He also spent most of his career five seasons with the St. Louis Rams before retiring in 2016. He now lives in Missoula with his family, working in real estate and dabbling in politics. Chase Reynolds, the ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls, 3621 Brook Street in Missoula. 18 draft beers, 30 big screen TVs. No matter what game you want to watch, Paradise Falls has got you covered. Head on over to Paradise Falls on the south side of town. They got breakfast, lunch, dinner, two different happy hours, and an awesome space to watch sports. Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot. Well, welcome in to the ESPN Roundtable and happy to be joined this week in studio by former University of Montana Grizzly and former St. Louis and then Los Angeles Ram Chase Reynolds. Chase, thanks so much for being here, man. Great to have you. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, we're certainly happy to have you here. There's a ton to get to uh, in in your career or maybe the current state of affairs at the University of Montana. But one place we wanted to start with is the Grizzlies getting ready to host Weber State in a top five matchup in the nation this weekend. Uh, you had some pretty epic battles with the Weber State Wildcats Bobby Houck's first time around, and when you were in school, uh, Weber State, the one team, I believe, in the Big Sky Conference that beat Montana in a conference game. It was at Weber State in like a four-year stretch. It was the one loss. And then the following year, I believe, in a playoff game, you yourself had a very nice day, 200 and change, thank you very much, and uh, a little bit of retribution. What do you remember, though, about Weber State when you were playing? Because they were maybe the, in terms of, of uh, competition, the rival of you guys while you were while you were playing for the Grizzlies. Yeah, definitely. They were they were always tough. And I, and I would call it while we were playing back in from 08, 09, um, they they were a rival. Uh, we we played down there in the rain. It was it was a crappy day, and um, they ended up beating us down there. And um, I know we had a chance that year to come back up here in the playoffs and and uh, and play them. And um, I, I remember we had a great offensive plan. I know Cell uh, was kind of running QB, and and I remember that game because we had we basically had options. So we had when we got to the line of scrimmage, there was two options, and 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 Cell had the opportunity to call one or the other, and. Um, you know, it was just a good day. I know we were fired up to, to kind of get back at them. They kind of ruined our perfect season. It was our only loss that year. Right. Um, so when they came back up here, Montana, it was, you know, it, we were all uh, just looking at looking at getting back at them uh, and trying to go. Obviously, it was a playoff game. And um, yeah, I guess 240 yards later, obviously, it was, you know, our line was incredible that year. And um, I just ran behind them and and, uh, and then ran in front of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tried to run around, run through whatever I could. Right. So. Do you remember anything specifically about those Weber teams? Because they had a couple iconic guys, right? They met that Trevin Smith. Trevin Smith, yes. Who actually passed away last year. I was oh, shocked by that. It was totally out of nowhere. Oh wow. I didn't know that. I, I do know he was a he was a great running back. I know yeah. I always kind of you know watched him run and watched him. He was always a big physical runner. 
Um, so he was definitely somebody I, I kind of enjoyed watching on the other side while, um, you know, not while he was playing us, but obviously. <laughs> when you when you played and you have a guy on that that is, you know, another running back, obviously you can't play running backs. You're playing defenses. But is there a, a, a I'm going to play better than this guy. I want to prove that I'm better than, than him because I know he's good or something like yeah. that. Or is it just uh, I'm going to do my thing? Um, I guess I was probably more, I'm just going to do my thing. Yeah. Um, I never tried to compare myself. I just always tried to be the best me, I guess, um, if that makes sense. But I, you know, I never, for me, I never idolized another runner. Um, you know, I just always tried to do what I could do best and, and never, never looked at anybody and thought, wow, I wish I could be them or I wish I could do that. So um, I think that kind of made me a little bit different than a lot of people. I just, um, you know, I had a standard for myself and that was, that's what I needed to accomplish. So. It's interesting. Those two guys, Chase and Trevin, basically dominated the first team All Big Sky, the rushing titles, everything. I, yeah. mean, I think Trevin Smith is one of only two guys in the history of the Big Sky Conference that's a non specialist that was first team All League four years in a row. Wow. Pretty impressive career. Absolutely. And Chase was th- first team All League three years in a row. I, I know you guys were battling back and forth. Those teams are so yeah. memorable, though. I mean, Cam Higgins was kind of one of the first real dual threat guys in the Big Sky. Tim Toon ended up being. <laughs> yeah. uh, he ended up being Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last guy That's drafted right. in the NFL draft. Man, I would give my house and both cars to be Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> I can tell you, you that. Get, I, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I would get them back new, <laughs> yeah, presumably, right? <laughs> A little 15-year upgrade for me. The the run that you guys went on, 31-1 and in the Big Sky Conference, Bobby Hawks last four years. I know that led up to your junior year, but that one loss was the Weaver State loss, but you were able to avenge it. But during those times, play well. Don't play well. It didn't matter. You guys figured out a way to win. Why? What was the, what was the mindset of the team at that point that helped you guys finish games like you did? Yeah, I, th- I think it was a lot what Bobby, what Hauk brought to the team. I mean, it was, you know, I want to talk a little bit about relationship between a player and a coach. Um, I don't really know if we had one. It was, it was, you knew what to expect. I mean, he wasn't somebody you joked around with. He wasn't somebody that you had fun with. Um, and it was kind of a, I almost look back at it now as a father figure that was just, I mean, he, he expected things of you and if you didn't do them, then ultimately you were either punished or, or something else happened. So, um, I just, I think kids these days have lost the mentality of, of we really as a team fought for each other. I mean, I remember one of the, one of the things I remember going out before a game is Bobby would, we'd say the, we'd say a prayer and then he'd say, Hey, I want you guys to look at each other and know that when you go out on that field, these are who you're fighting for. And I remember that because I used to just get this feeling in my stomach, like, man, these guys are literally fighting for me and I would do whatever I could for them. And it was just a, it was a team bonding. Um, and you went out there, you didn't go out there for yourself. You went out there for your brothers and everybody around you. And, and you just, you just kind of knew that that's what was going to happen. So was there a level at which you, I, I wouldn't say rallied "Quote unquote" against Bobby Hauk, but you knew that you were all in the same boat. You have the deist God here, who's just separate <laughs> from the world, and you guys only have each other, so yeah. to speak, in that respect. While you're playing for each other in this brother brotherhood, this mm-hmm. bond that you have, but also he sort of made that such by the distance that he created. He, he did, and and I I look at it now and going, you know, I understand mm-hmm. why we weren't friends. I mean, I and and back when you're in college, you're like, man, this guy hates me. You know. Mm-hmm. He's, He's a jerk. Um, but now, you know, you grow up, you're around, you have your own kids, and you start to realize that that's what you need as a coach. You you need that guy that's got a little bit distance, but for some reason you fight for him. Um, and he was he's he's great at that. And 
Um, you know, to have Bobby back, I think he's I think he's exactly what Missoula needed. Um, you know, kids these days are. You know, they're a little bit softer. Sorry, guys. But, uh, <laughs> no, sorry about it. You're not you guys. I'm older I'm talk- than you. I'm talking to the- <laughs> anybody just listening. <laughs> I don't know if you feel older than I do, but. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and he, this is interesting, too, because Bobby Houck, when he was first hired, I think was 37 yeah, years old. Yeah, 37 right? or 38. Yep. And so, you know, just into his 40s. I mean, he's a young guy. Mm-hmm. And I think there's maybe a level with young coaches where they think they – probably need yeah. some distance because it would be easy to be friends Absolutely. with your guys. Yep. And I wonder now, because I do think my impression of Bobby the second time around is he's certainly got all the edge yeah. that he's ever had, but I think there's a little more maybe yeah. moment for a laugh, maybe a moment of you know encouragement that maybe wasn't there the first time. Do you see some of that? Yeah, I, I do, and I think that's that's years of coaching. It's, it's yeah. hard to stay that level of intensity. I mean, he was an intense coach, and I mean, if I don't know if you guys remember my first game, but um, it was against Cal Poly, and and uh, I mean, he pulled me out, he grabbed me by the helmet, and he was screaming in my face because I did some things wrong, and um, you know that's the Bobby that I remember, and I don't know if I see that, you know, I think he's he's uh, he's calmed down a little bit. I don't know if it's good or bad, but uh. well, he's got Brent Pease and Barry Sachs now, <laughs> yeah. so he's just got henchmen he, to exactly. do the work that he was going to well, do before. I, I tell you, that, I tell you now, it don't matter how much you produced. I mean, Narcus Knight scored 17 touchdowns this year. He fumbled in the red zone. He was benched yeah. for the That's rest it. of the first half. So yeah. Bobby's still yeah. still on it, like in yeah. that element for sure. I think Colt Anderson, he was in here uh, a couple months ago, and he explained it great too. He said. He's the common enemy that you want to that you want to die for. Still, Absolutely. And that I think it's it's such a brilliant coaching tactic. I I I could talk about the psychological aspects of this forever because I think that it is so interesting in college football across the country. You've seen everybody gravitate towards family style programs, and and to a certain extent, that's awesome. And I think especially when you're recruiting kids from really disadvantaged backgrounds that never had love in their lives, mm-hmm. I think you can get guys to really sell out for you. And I don't think it's the wrong way to do it, right? but I mean, there was that great video when they had Coach Houck mic'd up during fall camp, and Josh Sandry, Jesse Sims, and Dante Olson are all sitting there stretching, and Houck's talking to him, and he says, when are you guys graduating? And they all say, December, Coach, December, December. He goes, man, when you guys graduate... Maybe we could be friends. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then he looks at me and goes, "Nah." <laughs> says acquaintances, yeah. acquaintances, and it's classic. And Coach Houck doesn't even pull any punches. When it, I mean, when he got hired, he said, "Hey, I am here to be the coach yep. of the Montana Grizz. I'm. Yes. You guys have all your friends. I hope you're friends with each other. We are not friends. Yep. I am your coach." And I think it's a great divide. I think it's something that's missing in America broadly across the board. Yeah, no, and I agree. And that's what I said after I was done playing, and I'm like. You know, all through my career, I was like, I don't know if this guy even likes me. Um, but after, you know, we, we went down and actually visited him down at UNLV. And, um, you know, I'm, shoot, every time I see Bobby, it's, it's you know, I, I would say that we're, we're good friends. And um, it's just such a different level of, of what I felt in college and what I feel now. So I definitely respect the hell out of Bobby. And um, I love what he's doing. You, uh, Chase Reynolds, in studio with us, uh, former Grizz, graduated in 2010, went on to uh, play in the NFL for six seasons. And, uh, Chase, when you finished your last year at the University of Montana, it was almost the climax of a decade and a half or two decades of the program at the University of Montana being built, obviously various national championships and stuff in there, but in terms of just utter dominance of the field, I mean, it, it, you, you, had, you were part of a run that was unparalleled really in college football, period. Since that time, we know what's happened. We know what's transpired, and there's a lot of 
explanations or portion strands as, as to why that's happened. But when you look at the program now, what do you see both, you know, in terms of the last, I don't know, handful of years, maybe going back to Delaney, Bob Stitt, and now with Bobby Houck, obviously everybody thinks, and it is obviously trending up from a football standpoint, mm-hmm. but from uh, a, a program university, what do you see there? And what's, what is different to you now, maybe still than it was when you were there? You know, I think they're, I mean, they're definitely trending up. We can all see that. And I think a lot to do with, you know, maybe when Stitt was here, you know, I think it's Montana guys. And there's always something about the Montana guys that we had. Um, and and I, I've seen this through my NFL career. I look back on our college career. And it's kind of a cliche, but I would take, I would take tough guys over athletes, you know, mm-hmm. over talented athletes that um, go back to the saying, you know, Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Um, but ultimately, that's what Montana is. I mean, we were a bunch of – and I don't consider myself a great athlete. Um, in that 2008, 2009, 2010 season, um, just the Montana guys that were willing to fight for you. And that and that's that's what it was. They were tough, hard-nosed Montana boys that weren't athletic, but they would go out there and kick your butt if you lined up next to them. So I was, I think I start to see that again, and that's I really think that's what was lost through those years where we we see these guys. I mean, we see these offenses that were, were trying to score you know sixty points a game. But you look back at what we did, and we'd run the ball for eight minutes straight, you know, and that's that's something that just that wears teams out. Um, you have to have guys that are physically, mentally ready to do that, and and I don't I don't see that these days here at the university. Right. Um, I want to talk about you for a minute. Some people make incremental progress. Maybe some people make incremental digression. I don't know over the course <laughs> of their lives. But from a football standpoint, you go from Drummond to Division One football at the University of Montana. And then nationally, you talk about 1AA FCS football mm-hmm. to the NFL. You made two giant leaps in your life in terms of the level at which you were playing. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, there's an entry point there where you worked your way in yeah. at the university. You worked your way into the league. But... When did you know coming out of Drummond, hey, I could play Division One football at the University of Montana? Great as you were, I mean, you were. I probably scored one hundred and fifty touchdowns. An all time. No, no. I mean, I get it, but I mean, it's still different, right? I mean, yeah. when you're going and and you, you know you're in Washington Grizzly Stadium, and then from that point when you're going and playing, you know, in the NFL, how how does that mentally? How do you deal with that? You know, you asked me when I, when I when I knew I could play, and, yeah. and honestly, the the real answer is never. Mm. I never. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? It's like I, no, uh, I get, I, I, you know, it's not. I, I never. I was like, you know what? I, I think I can play college football. It was just, it was happening, and it was like, I don't, I don't know if I can, but I'm going to go try. And then, you know, it was, it was always a constant, even from from college to the NFL. I mean, every every day, it was like, well, I, now I got it. I've got the spot. Now I got to keep it. Yeah. So it was never. I was. I was never satisfied, and I was always working to to be better. So I guess in my mind, it was never. I never thought, oh, hey, I've made it, and yeah. I, and I think that's really why I had success. Is I, you know, as as much as you know, I want to say that that I worked hard and I did all this, I did all that. Is I was just never satisfied. Mm-hmm. I always worked for my positions, even when I started here at the university. It was I was always so close to losing my spot. So, uh, yeah, it's you know, I never got complacent, and and I always just tried to be the best that I could be, and. Um, you know, when it was when I was in high school and it was the thought of college, it was kind of a whirlwind. I was I had no idea. Maybe I could go play at Carroll. Maybe I could go play at Tech. Maybe I could play at the university. And uh, you know, just kind of snowballed and and 
never looked back and just kept grinding. Welcome back to the ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls in Missoula. Paradise Falls, 3621 Brook Street, Missoula's coolest hotspot. They have 18 draft beers, 36 big screen TVs, a great menu, great place to watch sports. This week's ESPN Roundtable features Chase Reynolds, one of the all-time great running backs in the history of the Big Sky Conference during his time at the University of Montana from 2006 to 2010. He rushed for more than 4,000 yards and scored a school record, 52 touchdowns, after joining the Grizz from Tiny Drummond, Montana. Went on to play six seasons in the NFL, and now he lives in Missoula with his wife and children. Chase Reynolds on this week's ESPN Roundtable. Coming from eight man, they tried to get receiver the <laughs> yeah. first year and a half or so. I remember covering the the spring ball, and I had remembered watching you in high school, and I'm like, why are they doing this at receiver? Why don't they play this guy at running back? But then when you got your shot at running back, I think you rushed for like 175 yards against Northern Colorado. And that just parlayed into them having such a great yeah, couple years behind a great offensive line. But was there elements of frustration? How did you get through the times when you go from multiple-time state champion, Class C superstar, to sort of toiling on the roster and not getting any playing time? Yeah, uh, it was tough. I mean, the, the point where they're going to move you back to running back and – I mean, move you back to wide receiver. You know, I guess for me it was I, – I just said, well, okay, if I'm not going to be running back, then I'm going to be the best wide receiver. So I went out there and – Obviously, wasn't even close to being a good wide receiver. Um, but, uh, you know, that was my mentality. If I wasn't going to be a running back, then I'll be the best wide receiver. And so I I played wide receiver, um, worked at it, and then I had the opportunity to – and really, I don't know if you guys know the story of why I got moved back to running back. No. Um, it was – I don't know if you guys remember the Idaho State game where uh, – Coleman, he was the the backup. I think Lex. Oh yeah, was, Greg Coleman. Yeah, this is what a story this <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, talk about just a confluence of events. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, Lex, I think Lex was hurt. He had hurt his thumb. Uh, we got back from Idaho State. Coleman gets arrested coming off the buses. Um, I want to say I think Reggie Bradshaw was hurt. Um, so it was really we were down like three running backs, mm. and I remember having a conversation with Mike Hudson, who was our coach, and said, "Hey, we're going to move you back to running back." Um, just because you know the plays, don't plan on playing, don't plan on anything. This is basically in case all the other running backs go down, you're going to get it. Way to instill confidence, yeah, Coach. Well, I was like, geez, well, uh, is this a thank you or don't get my hopes up because you're, you know, after the season, you're moving back to running back. So, or moving back to wide receiver. So, it really, the way it unfolded was by accident. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that they saw anything on the field and thought, well, let's leave it moving back to running back. It was, it was other people's mistakes, and I got moved back, and I, I remember that spring they didn't know what to do. and um, Actually, I'm sorry, it was winter ball, and they kind of him hawed on what they were going to do with me, and I, I, I think at that point I just said, you know what, I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to get in the weight room. I'm going to gain some weight, and they're not going to be able to, to move me anywhere. So, and, and that's really where it all started. Mm. Winter ball, I remember, I remember a couple of coaches going, hey, we're noticing you. So it was just like, man, that's just just keep going, keep grinding. And spring ball got here, and um, – I just tried to punish people on the other side, and then that's just kind of snowballed in, and I was fighting for a spot, and um, that was kind of the start of, of it all. Wow. There's there's such an interesting motivational dynamic there, too, because you mentioned the Montana guys, and I thought I think one of the most underrated factors of those last couple of years of the Hauk teams was the team had so much depth that Bobby was able to redshirt almost yeah. every guy, especially the Montana guys. So then you guys lived in the dorm, same floor, everybody's close, so you, you have these friendships but then you also saw so many guys from Montana. I mean, all the guys from my class, all the guys from your class, every single one of them, not necessarily the most talented guy. Hauk would bring in a transfer, or he'd bring in a super talented out-of-state guy, and he would hype them up, and they'd always not be the guy that started. It yeah. would always be, 
Sean Lebsock in the middle, not yeah. the the big hype transfer. It would always be Mike Ferreira, wide yeah. receiver, yeah. not the Notre Dame and UCLA transfers. And I just, I thought it was a, a fascinating motivational tactic, but it speaks to what you're talking about too, yeah. just the fact that you guys are willing to sell out for each other and just that Montana identity as well. It, it is. It, it holds a powerful punch. I mean, when you you start talking about Montana, Montana pride. I mean, there's a lot of pride in Montana, and uh, you know that's one of the main reasons why I'm back here. I mean, I, I love Montana. I love the people here and, and the way they just support. Um, and it's just got a special feel. You know, I've had the opportunity to go live in a couple different states. Um, and uh, there's just something about Montana. When you go and have an opportunity to, to get signed by the Rams and go to camp, and I know you were there and then I think waved and then brought mm-hmm. back in and then eventually worked your way into, you know, a permanent year-in, year-out spot. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of see where that maybe came from, some of the work ethic and stuff like that. But also, I've seen, I think a lot of NFL guys are so, so much about fit, about finding the right spot. And there's a lot of guys who can play that don't end up because they land at the wrong spot, and other guys that do land at the right spot. What was it like for you to go to St. Louis, obviously eventually migrating to, to L.A., and and what was the fit like there for you? You know, when I first got there, I had no idea. I I I think they brought me in as a fullback mm. slash running back slash special teams guy, um, and, and I think you know you, you kind of hit on it. You gotta you gotta find a spot. How do I fit in here? How do I make it so they can't cut me? Um, and that's what you know. One of my coaches told me that he said make it make it hard for them to get rid of you. Give them a reason to keep you around. And my reason to keep me around is I I, I could do everything. I mean, if you needed somebody on defense, I'm, I'm in. I mean, I didn't even ask. I just jumped in. Um, you need somebody to run wide receiver routes. I'm in. Um, you need somebody to place kick, place hold. I mean, right. I, I learned how to long snap. I learned how to, mm. I learned how to hold. Um, mm. I mean, anything. It was just like you know. And that was my reasoning: is is why do you keep me around? Because I can do everything that you ask, um, and I will do more. I, I will. I'll play on the scout team. I'll play. Um, I played DN. I mean, I I, I went up against uh, um, our starting offensive lineman when I, I'd run. I'd I'd get a DN, I'd jump in at nose tackle, and and I just, you know, it was that was kind of that was my niche. Hey, Aaron, excuse me, <laughs> yeah, could yeah, you hey, just well, take got, this one off? I got this. One. In fact, I, I probably showed him a couple moves. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think know if so. He's, he's gave me credit for that. Yet, this is but. what you're doing wrong with your hands, <laughs> yeah. Donald. Yeah, uh, let me help you out. Hey, I I, I got to ask you this too because uh, you know the NFL football occupies such an amazing spot in America, mm-hmm. in Americana, yeah. and the NFL the 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 zenith of that sport. Uh, when you get into the league, people don't care. I mean, basically, if you're, you know, Joe Montana, or if you're playing for the Rams, they go, oh my God, look at, oh, this is amazing. Now, you're, you know, you're married, you've been married a long time, you're married while you were in the NFL and the whole thing, kids and the whole deal. So you're not, you know, doing everything that everybody's right. doing all the time. But what was it like to be a professional football player, which so very few people get to experience, but so very many people, uh, uh, you know, laud and look up to? Yeah, no, I think the the one thing people don't really get is it, it's a job. I mean, as, mm. as much as, you know, it looks fame and fortune and looks all great on TV, I mean, the, the amount of work that's put in, and then also what you don't see is the amount of guys coming in each day. I mean, you don't see the guys getting cut. You don't see every Tuesday there's 10 guys over there warming up because they're going to work out for your spot. Um, you know, you, d- you don't see the conversations of, hey, if you don't make a play, we don't know what to do with you. So I guess for me it was, you know, it's a, it's, it was a different mentality. Is I, I, I always was the guy on the bubble. You know, I was never, 
I, I never got that feeling of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to work hard. You know, I got my spot. So um, it was just a constant, I guess, uh, fight of how do I stay on this roster? How do I stay alive? So, um, you know, as, as much as people think, oh, man, it's so great to be on the NFL, I was like, well, yes, it had its moments where you look around and go, man, this is just fan- This is awesome. I can't believe that I'm here. But 360 days a year, it's it's keep your head down and, and try to stay employed. Um, so that, you know, to me it was tough. I mean, there was moments where I was, I was, you know, on my way home. I mean, we were going, we were packing boxes and I was cut for a month and didn't know what to do. And um, so those times, I mean, you, you never forget those. And those are the moments that, you, you know, when things are going great, so it kind of <laughs> kicks you in the back and goes, hey, don't forget why you're here and how you got here. Well, whatever job you have out there in the world, you don't have to actually fight Alec Ogletree, okay? So think <laughs> about that as like a nice part of what you don't do for a living. Yeah. What uh, sometimes you do have to do when you're grinding it out in camp. Mike, Mike Person, former Montana State Bobcast yeah. from Glendale. I think you guys are probably yeah, actually crossed paths. Uh, yep. I mean, he, he told a story on this exact uh, show saying, man, when I got cut from the practice squad for what I thought was the last time and yeah. I told my wife I was going to do it one more time, she said, well, you're going to be on your own then, buddy, because we're not moving for a fifth time. I'm I'm good. I'm staying here. You can go chase whatever dreams. But from that element, just the family element, I mean, you have to have so much gratitude for your wife for letting you pursue this dream like you did yeah. when it is so uncertain. I, you know, I don't know how she did it. I don't know how she sat there and, and uh, you know, looked at me and go, what are we going to do? I mean, there was a moment we had – we were in St. Louis. We had two kids. Uh, we were living in an apartment. And we had three hundred dollars, and I said, well, "We have enough to get home, and that's and we'll get home, and this is it. I'm done." Um, I had been cut for a month. I mentioned earlier, and um, we didn't know. We didn't have the answers, and and she just said, "I I believe in you. You do what you need to do." And um, I applied for jobs in St. Louis, and went and got a gym membership at Gold's Gym, and um, had worked out, you know, my time off, and um, you know, she's she's given up so much for us and our family. I mean, people talk about the work that I put in and this and that. And I mean, to be somebody, you know, to, to take care of our kids and sit there and depend on somebody and go, Hey, what's the next step? I'm here for you. I'm here with you. Um, you know, I just, she's an amazing woman and, um, you know, I'm just, I'm so blessed to have her and, and stand beside me no matter what. And so special thanks to her. Before we get you out of here, we got to ask you about Drummond, Montana, because I think Drummond is one of the awesome places in Montana. Yeah. And when you look at the football program, I mean, there's like 300 people in Drummond, Montana, and they, they, they produced four or five Division One guys last decade, and it's always been a hotbed. Great little mill there, by the way. My dad takes his posts and pulls from the oh, yeah. uh, solo logging operation over <laughs> yep. the Drummond. So, uh, shout out Drummond, Montana. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I know, I know, having uh, Joe Big Mill having a bunch of kids definitely gives you some D one talent because <laughs> yeah. all of those guys, You're all right. those guys were good enough to play. Through. Yeah, but but those Drummond teams that you played on, I mean, that was the stuff of legend. They created the running clock in Class C high school because you guys were beating teams so bad. I remember driving up the freeway and going watching you guys on Saturday afternoons, and I mean, it was 50 to nothing at halftime most of the time. You almost never played in the second half of a game. Yeah. I mean, you guys outscored opponents something like 500 to 20 your senior year or something like that. I think the only time you guys uh, I don't know gave if they up. scored 20. But. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think you guys might have given up. I think it was nine. I, 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 <laughs> Get your numbers sorted out. I, I, I truly, Single digits, I, tru- I truly think they didn't give up a touchdown to the state championship game. I think that's yep. a real stat. Yep. Unbelievable. Just killing people. But how did that influence your life, though? Becoming from a working class community like that, so much pride in football. I mean, going to a drumming game back then, 
At that moment in time, there was more guys dressing for Drummond High School yeah. games than Hellgate High School games. And yeah. there's a three, there's a three hundred person town. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got thirty I, guys on the sidelines. So, I think uh, there was a time where we had forty five guys out, forty six boys in high school. Um, Every kid in the high school yep, was dressing for football. And if Remarkable. he wasn't, he was up in the crow's nest filming. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was, I guess that small town. You know, it's just it, it was. A, we started to build something special, and it wasn't before. I mean, we had a couple good teams before I got there, and um, like I said, it would just come down to the kids. We had a good group. My class was a was a big class. I think we had twenty five kids, and we were a big class to get through. Drew. Right. Um, I think we had less than a hundred kids in the high school, um, but you know, it was just it was kind of we were all friends, and we were we were just out there having fun, and it just turned into you know I think we all had summer jobs, um, and I and I contribute that to a lot of my success it was just the ability to work at a young age. I mean, the accountability. the getting there on time to, to having a job and seeing it through. Um, I really look back and I go, you know, I'm small town guys that, had, that we, we had to work, right. And we had to drive ourselves to work and we had to get there. We had to be there on time. We didn't have our parents, you know, they had their own jobs. So, um, you know, it was just that, that's kind of that small town. We were all good friends and happened to love football and had great coaches, you know, Jim Oberweiser and JC Holland were a great group of guys and they taught us, you know, how to be dominant, but how to be respected and, and how to play the game the way it should be played. Chase, uh, this has been a really fun conversation. Thanks for being here yeah. and doing this. Uh, we're happy to have you in the uh, Missoula community as yeah. you go through, and yep. uh, and we'll look forward to catching up with you again. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you having me on and enjoyed it. And if you ever need me back, let me know. See you tomorrow. All right. <laughs> <laughs>